And good afternoon, good afternoon. I'm Len Tillum. I'm a lawyer. Today we've got a guest. My guest is Michael Gilfix, friend of mine. I've done many seminars for him. When it comes to elder law, estate planning, trusts and estates, Michael Gilfix is kind of like the lawyer's lawyer. He's pretty famous. He lectures around the country. Um, our offices work very closely together. My office had a conference with his office today. The lawyers got together. And Michael brought up some in- interesting points, and I-, I wanted to discuss them on the air. So we'll be talking elder law, trusts, and estates today. If you've got a question involving your estate, Medi-Cal, you- you'll hear as the show evolves. Give us a call. And um, Michael's got his office in Palo Alto. It's Gilfix and LaPole. He's got some seminars coming up next week. We'll talk about those, too. Michael, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> pleasure to be here, Len. Good, Good. afternoon. Thank you. So <laughs> one of the first things I want to mention is that um, – it came up in my seminars. We get calls about it. How do you protect from your daughter? You love her, but the guy she married, what a spender. Well, tell us about that. Sure. Uh, th- there's actually a, a remarkable opportunity in this world of estate planning. Things you can do so that assets you leave your kids are going to be protected. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Everybody should take advantage of it. So it's, it's called a dynasty trust. And the idea is that rather than leave assets directly to your kids, you set up a trust, one for each of them, and the assets go into the trust. So if your daughter is good at managing money, She's the trustee of her own trust. She's going to manage things. It isn't like you take away control. But here are the benefits. Here are the, here are the protections. Wait, wait, wait. How is that different than just giving the kid the money? Well, on the one hand, if the money goes directly to your child, it's in her name only. And then that, that kind of gets directly into the benefits of the trust. If assets go into her name only and she's sued, the money that's in her name that she's inherited, it's fair game. It can be reached by somebody who sues her. There was an architect, this woman in Santa Rosa, who designed a 300-unit condominium complex in Santa Rosa, and the roofs leak, and she was hit with a $4 million judgment personally. She was liable. So had the parents given had the, her parents die, I'm making this up, but had her parents died and left her money... That inheritance would have gone to the judgment. Right, and, and what a radical difference. On the one hand, the money that she inherits is lost. On the other, quite simply, the money that she inherits is protected. So if, God forbid, your kid hits a school bus full of kids and there's a big judgment against him or her, the money you leave them directly, goodbye to the creditors. That's right. And you know, there's, but if it's in the dynasty trust? We have a tremendously high level of asset protection. The money really should be safe from, from litigation. Because it's not the daughter or your son's money. It's your money there for their benefit. Right. It, it, technically, the money would belong to the trust rather than to your daughter. And that's, it's not just words. I mean, that means that the money doesn't directly belong to her. And that also, by the way, is why it's safe in the context of divorce. If she, the money that she's, that she inherits in this trust, it's segregated in this trust. It's locked up in this trust. If there is a divorce, and, you know, more than half of marriages still end in divorce in California, the assets that are locked up in this trust, they stay with her. And that also means, of course, the money's going to be there for the grandkids. Right. I mean, we all care more about the grandkids than our own kids. This is what mothers love. Explain. Mm. I I mean, daughter gets married. Daughter's married to some guy who spends like crazy, just blows money, is always in debt. You're helping him out. You know, you leave your daughter a bunch of money, even three, four, five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. You leave it to her. And three months after you're dead, this guy, this gorilla says, what's the matter? Don't you love me? Give me half. And your dumb daughter says, oh, no, here's half. I mean, yes, I love you. What, what, if there's a dynasty trust in place, what happens? Well, I mean, if there happens to be, if she's so fortunate as to have one of these trusts in place, her response to her loving husband is, you know, darling, I'd love to, but I can't. Right. So mom and dad are the bad guys, and what do they care? They're dead, right? Yeah. And 
let's say, explain what happens if they want to buy a house with mom and dad's money. Sure. So, okay, so here's money. Daughter inherits. She's married, but the money's in the trust. And they decide they want to buy a cabin in the mountains, perhaps. Well, if the only source of money to buy that cabin is in that trust, fine. Use the money in the trust. But what the daughter does is she doesn't take the money out of the trust to buy the cabin. The trust buys the cabin. So in the unlikely event or perhaps likely event of a divorce, the cabin stays with her. It's still there for the family to enjoy. Everybody loves it. But again, the asset is protected. There's, there's not this danger that it would be in both names. And then if there's a divorce, she loses half. And, and let's say the husband and the wife, the daughter and her husband, have enough money to pay for half the house and mom and dad who have gone pay for the other half. What do they do then? Okay, so so they're going to buy a place for a million dollars, let's say, and they need another 500000 beyond their money. So they would take a half interest, the half that they pay for their community property, they would take a half interest as community property in their community property trust, and the other half would be owned by the daughter's dynasty trust. So she effectively would own three quarters of the cabin that they purchase. What about estate tax? How, explain how uh, it's a generation skipping trust also and how the, really the rich stay richer. Right. Uh, you know, it, it is such an illustration of how good planning just saves a fortune. And it is why the rich get richer. There's no question about that. But, but let's emphasize, this is not something only for the rich. Everybody has these issues. I mean, it could be a five, $600,000 estate, and it's still worth doing this trust. Now, on this issue of estate tax, this is the issue, the, the, the benefit that's best known, because it's remarkable. So let's assume that you're fortunate enough to have a, a couple million dollars, and you leave that to your daughter. If it goes into her name, and then she grows it during her lifetime, all of the money that she inherits from you, plus its growth, is going to be part of her taxable estate. Here's the amazing thing. If I would like my children to live 30 years longer than me. And if you leave your daughter a million dollars, and she invests it, and, and the husband works, and they both work, and, and it grows just, you know, normal times... That million dollars becomes 15 to $20 million in 30 years. It, it really can. I mean, that's just growth. I mean, it, it assumes just a bit of optimism about what the economy does. So it but becomes that's $10 million. Yeah, but $10 million. Explain what I'm if, – if the $10 million is in the daughter's name and it goes to the grandkids, explain about estate tax. Sure. So, so uh, you leave your daughter a million or two or whatever, uh, and then it grows in her estate. If it's part of her estate when she dies, if it's in her name, it's going to be exposed to the estate tax. And every dollar of estate tax, let's round it off. You can lose about a half of all the money exposed to estate tax. So if she should happen to have $10 million that grows from what you left her, $5 million will be protected. That's the, that's the great thing about that area of law. But $5 million would be exposed. Over $2 million would go to the government in the form of estate taxes. If it's in the trust, if you leave the $2 million in the trust and it grows, none of that money is going to be part of her taxable estate. In that example, we just saved $2.5 million for the grandkids. Are, are these trusts difficult to deal with? Is there a problem there? They're, they're, they're really not. I mean, so, so let's, you know, let's stick What's with the— What's the downside? Um, you know, honestly, I'm not sure there really is one. I mean, the protections are awesome. If the daughter doesn't like the trust, she could take the money out of the trust. And she'd lose the protections, but for some reason, who knows, maybe she would want to do that. Now, maybe a downside is if you don't trust your daughter to be a good money manager and you set up somebody else as the trustee— but that's that's not mom and dad's downside. That might be the daughter's downside. So, you know, the whole idea here is to protect your kids, maybe from themselves, but mostly from outside forces. Um, it's just hard to come up with a downside. 
So these, these are these dynasty trusts, and, and we're doing quite a few of them in our office, and, and they've got a lot of benefits. We're covering them quickly here. It, it, Michael is doing, and he does a really good seminar. These are in Palo Alto and San Jose. Michael's got seminars coming up next week. On Wednesday, March 6th, he'll do two seminars in San Jose at the Doubletree, 4 and 6 p.m., and on Thursday, March 7th, the day after, busy man in Palo Alto, two seminars at the Crown Plaza Cabana Cabana at 4 and 6 p.m. So it's Wednesday in San Jose, 4 and 6 p.m. at the Doubletree. Thursday, the 7th, Palo Alto, Crown Plaza Cabana, 4 and 6 p.m. Michael's webpage is gilfix.com, G-I-L-F-I-X. The seminars, of course, no charge for the seminars. Is that right, Michael? Absolutely. And you can ask all the questions you want. There's no charge for the seminars. And go to gilfix, G-I-L-F-I-X dot com and sign up. That's all you got to do. If you live anywhere near Palo Alto or San Jose, you really ought to go to these seminars. They're really good. Now, let me explain something. Explain to me, and someone asked this to me the other day, why would you not use a dynasty trust for a disabled child and just makes one of the other kids the trustee? What do you do for a disabled child? Sure. With, with the dynasty trust... The assets actually count as being available to – again, let's go with the daughter who inherits the money. If she were to ever become disabled and apply for government benefits, like an income stream called SSI, Supplemental Security Income, there's Medi-Cal, which is a, a health insurance program for people who are disabled, but you can't have more than $2,000. So, so if the daughter has that money in her name, she would not qualify. If it's in a dynasty trust, that money would count and she would not qualify. So for the disabled daughter, we would always set up what is called a special needs trust. Now, explain why, a, a per, well, obviously, a person with disabilities would probably have difficulty finding a job or holding down a job. And they're going to need government benefits, not just Medi-Cal and health insurance. They'll need SSI, perhaps Section 8 housing. And the governments have a, a means test. You can't have more than $2,000 to qualify for government benefits. And if you leave $100,000 to your child, they lose Medi-Cal. One hospitalization can be fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. And then they lose Medi-Cal. They spend it on the doctors and go get Medi-Cal again. Whereas if it's in, tell us what happens if it's in a special needs trust. Well, any amount of money can be in a special needs trust for the benefit of a disabled person, and none of it counts when they apply for government benefits. So if, if anybody, if you have a disabled child or a disabled grandchild, the special needs trust is not just a good idea. I, I would actually call it a necessity. Uh, there is no, there's lots of different trusts, irrevocable trusts, revocable trusts, dynasty trusts. But how many different kinds of trusts are there for disabled people? Well, you know, I would say there's one. I mean, yeah, really, I agree. You know, there's the, just a special yeah, needs trust. It, it works to. It's a lifelong safety net. Any amount of money can be in that trust, and it's there to pay for anything the child needs that is not adequately provided by the government programs. You got that. That is going to be another topic at your seminar. That's um, Wednesday. This Wednesday, uh, March sixth at four and six p.m. San Jose, the DoubleTree. And Thursday, March 7th, 4 and 6 p.m. in Palo Alto at the Crown Plaza Cabana. Stick around. We're going to take questions now. you got any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Michael and I, anything dealing with senior legal issues, you've got the expert here. Michael Gilfix knows this stuff cold. 866-536-1000. The lines are open. By all means, give us a call. 866-536-1000. Len Tillum, News Talk 910. I'm a lawyer. My guest is Michael Gilfix. You got legal questions. The number to call in, it's elder law, trusts and estates. You've got legal questions, dynasty trusts, estate planning, inheritance tax, 
probate, Medi-Cal. Michael knows that stuff. 866-536-1000. Let's say hello now to Jonathan. Jonathan in San Anselmo. Michael Gilfix, Len Tillum. What are you calling a lawyer for, Jonathan? Hi, Len and Michael. Uh, perfect timing. Um, not sure if this uh, applies to the um, uh, to the Dynasty Trust that uh, Michael was talking about. No problem. We're going to cover lots of topics. Let's hear your question. All right. My 75-year-old mother is getting her affairs in order. Uh, she recently completed a will done by an attorney. Uh, and she's leaving her long-term living boyfriend a right to life to her condo and several hundred thousand dollars to support it. Where does she live? New York. Okay. The remainder of her state, worth between one point five and two million, will primarily be split between my brother and me. So the question is, um, do we need to set up a trust to avoid estate and inheritance tax, or are we okay if it's under two million? Uh, Jonathan, I, there there be no federal estate tax, which is which is the big worry because that's the high percentage. But there, uh, this year, your mom, you know, let's not do this, but she could die this year and pass along up to five million dollars. A- anyone can, it yeah, anyone matter. can. That's a federal estate. tax. That's law. the federal estate tax. Uh, in New York, there is uh, there's a sta- a number of states have a state estate tax, and in New York, it's a million. So it's a relatively minor issue, but but there is an estate tax it, to worry about. It's not forty percent the way the California oh, no, no, state no, federal it's a, ones. It's in the teens. I don't remember exactly what it is. So there is a, a state estate tax that you could get more advice. Uh, you get more advice about that from somebody in New York. But it, it's not a killer. It's not a huge no, deal. No, wait, wait, wait. He raised. He said something that brought my attention. You don't have to worry about that. But you said your mom is doing a will, and she's got a two million dollar estate. If she were to do a will in California, the probate fees would be probably close to three thirty thousand dollars, thirty five thousand. Well, it'd be more than that. Yeah, yeah an astonishing amount of money. What's the story, Michael? You lecture around the country. How does it work in New York State? Do the lawyers get a, a fixed percentage, the racket that they have in California, or is it negotiate? How does it work in New York? Do you know? I, I know enough to say that many, many attorneys, primarily they, they do use living trust. You know, Jonathan, I would bet that your mom is setting up a trust in New York. I, I, I would just bet that. Because when a lawyer... I, I, I don't believe so. I really? You know, here's what's going on. Let me explain. When a lawyer says to somebody with $2 million, you don't need a trust to do a will... The lawyer is looking to make a lot of money when your mother dies because he's going to keep the original and he's hoping you and your brother say, you know, we can't do it in New York. We need a probate. The only way you're going to get the money with a will is a probate. Give me the money. But you're going to go to this lawyer and hopefully he'll get a dollars $35,000. If anything, if you're going to have to have a probate in New York, don't go to that lawyer. Don't reward that horrendous behavior. Hire somebody else. But why don't you ask your mother, Mom, why don't you do a trust? It'll be so much. Wouldn't it be easier? Well, I would I would at least raise this question. I, you know, I, I believe in New York, uh, it's not quite as consistently done where, where an attorney would do, an address for, uh, do a trust for everybody. Your mom should just ask questions about what are the fees going to be? What's the difference? Why shouldn't I do a trust? And, and another issue that comes up, Jonathan, is when your mother dies, who is going to be the executor? of the will or the trustee of the trust, who's going to be in charge of the money? Is the boyfriend going to be in charge, or wouldn't it be better if you and your brother did it? You'd have much more control of the estate. If there are problems, you're not going to have to sue the guy in New York because you're in control. Do you know the answer to that one? Yes. I mean, it just states the money. No, no, no. You're missing the point. Not who gets the money. When your mother dies, somebody has to go to court with a will and go to court and administer it and distribute the money. That's the executor. If someone dies with a trust, the person who's in charge of distributing the estate is called the successor trustee, the trustee. What I'm asking, 
and this is really important, is you and your brother want to be the executors or trustees, not the boyfriend. The, That's the, for sure. Well, it's clearly not him. Okay, it's not him. Well, have you asked? This brings up an issue. Michael, talk about this. How much, it happens all the time, how many questions can you ask your parent? You know, they're doing a will or a trust. I think children should know what your assets are. They don't have to know how much you've got, where the documents are, who's in charge of it. Speak about that, Michael. Well, you know, Len, you and I strongly agree that that the best thing anybody can do is engage their kids in this discussion. Uh, It's far healthier for your kids to know what you have, maybe not to the dollar, but, you know, just some sense of it. They should certainly know what you're planning. You know, what planning steps have you taken? What's going to happen when you pass? What do you want done if you're extremely ill? A whole list of things. Jonathan, you or your brother or both of you should have a copy of the will, and she should also have a financial power of attorney. God forbid she has a stroke. Who can sign for her? Do you understand? I mean, and you should know where these documents are, an advanced health care directive. Who can make medical decisions? Have you seen any of these, Jonathan? Yes. So she recently sent the last will and estate, but I don't see any part where it says an executor. No, you have a copy of your mother's... I authorized my executors. To... Wait, wait. You have a copy of the will? Yes. I guarantee it must say, I hear, what, about the third or fourth paragraph, it'll say... What's the language? My name is my executor. My executor shall be. Well, it, it's possible that it, it will use the word administrator as opposed to executor. I mean, it can be different terminology, but Who? somebody will be appointed to take care of managing the estate upon your mother's passing. Does it say that in the will, Jonathan? Have you got it in front of you there? It, it does. <laughs> Hello? It, it, yes, I'm looking. It just take really your time. states um, upon my death, everything, you know, it's set forth, um, all tangible estates. Go to the next you know, paragraph. The two. Yeah, yeah, I got that. You don't have to give us any names. Doesn't it say something about who shall be in charge? The executor, the administrator of my estate? It does not. Then you don't have a will. You ain't got. Does it say on top of it, last will and testament, or something about extract of last will and testament? Last will and testament of person X. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to take a break. And during the break, we're going to go through that whole will, every paragraph with you, because... Michael Gilfix, is it possible to have a valid will without an executor? No, and you know maybe at the end of the will, you know, Jonathan, I I just really believe by some terminology or other, somebody is appointed in the Wait, will. Not only that, I am so short names an executor. I want to also point out, Jonathan, I bet you got a college degree and you're a smart guy, and right, life is good, right? Okay, I I found it. Right, wait, stop. He didn't read it. I mean, how many of you have these documents from your parents? And you go, oh, yeah, good. You know, okay, who's the executor? My brother and myself. Hooray. Good. Your mother did good. Perfect. Perfect. That's what it needs. That way, and explain why, if your mother or father, Michael, says to you, Michael's smiling here, if, if your mother or father says to you, do you want to be the trustee, the executor, I happen to think you'd be crazy not to... Not, you should do it. Why? Do you, do you agree with that, Michael? Explain oh, why. Well, I mean, the person who's the executor or the trustee is going to control the estate you have after mom dies. You have power. You're so, crazy brother. of course you'd want to do that. Yes. Yeah. If your parents say to you, do you want to be the executor? You say, thank you very much. I'd like to do it. I can't tell you how many kids have said, I, I don't want to do it. Don't give up the power to your drunk brother, the one who's married to the one who just spends money all the time, or the grumpy sister who won't talk to you. You'd l- All right, you got it, Jonathan? Got it. Thank now, very much. wait a minute. It's got a will, and it says the division, though. It says will, right? It's a will. It sounds like a will to me, not a pour-over will. Jonathan, I would have your mom ask and ask your mom why she didn't do a trust. 
Okay. To, and how much it'll cost to probate a will in New York? Okay. The question is, if it's under two million, is the trust really necessary? Yes, we do trusts. If the estate's about three, four hundred thousand dollars, it is cheaper to do a trust than a will. The probate fees on estate, you're confusing probate fees and an inheritance estate tax. You yeah. see, the estate tax is what the government takes. The probate fees are what the lawyer gets. And in California, the probate fees were fixed by law. They'd be about $35,000. Whereas in New York, I'm not sure what they are, but I bet you the lawyer can easily run up a bill at fifteen, twenty grand. Those that phony baloney hourly billing they do. A trust avoids a lot of legal expenses and court involvement. Got it? Got it. Thank okay, you. find Very out. Much. All right. The best part of that call was the kid didn't two million dollars. He's getting a million dollars, and he didn't read it. Well, but but isn't that typical? Yes. You know, just as you said, it's just not the kind of thing that most of us do, and we should. You know, this is part of our future. It, it's our life. It's our family legacy. It, it, I happen to think it's okay to ask your parents what have they done. You know, it, it, you're not saying, "Gee, I hope you'll die," but it's okay to have mm-hmm. this conversation. Well, it's actually healthy. It, you know, Thank it's you. just okay. It's affirmatively healthy. It's a good thing. My, my guest is Michael Gilfix. He really does know what he's talking about. And the best part of the seminars is after the seminar, he will stay around and answer any questions you have. Next week, if you're in Palo Alto, well, let's go with uh, San Jose first. San Jose is Wednesday, March 6th, two seminars at the Doubletree Hotel in San Jose, 4 and 6 p.m. Thursday, March 7th, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. in Palo Alto at the Crown Plaza Cabana. Michael's office number is 650-493-8070, 650-493-8070, G-I-L-F-I-X.com. When I get back, we're going to talk about making dynasty trusts for your grandchildren. You can do that, too. Stick around. And calls, of course, 866 866- Five three six one thousand. We'd love to hear from you. Len Tillum, News Talk nine ten. I'm a lawyer. Eight six six five three six one thousand. My guest is Michael Gilfix. We're talking uh, elder law, senior legal issues. Michael's fairly well known all over the country, not just in Palo Alto where he practices. His firm is Gilfix and Lapole. Let's take some more questions. Mark in Vallejo. Mike Gilfix, Len Tillum. How come you call in lawyers, Mark? Uh, yes, I've, I've never heard of a special uh, interest uh, trust before, and I'm just wondering, I know uh, a friend of mine's uh, mother had remarried, and when she was on assistance, um, she had various um, issues. One of them, uh, you know, Alzheimer's uh, was a big one, but when her husband passed away, money transferred, and she no longer qualified for the Medicare that she was receiving. You mean Medi-Cal? Wait, wait. Cow. Yeah, well, first, we're going to take your question, but Michael, let's get some terms together, and not just you, Mark, but everybody. What's the difference between Medicare, M-E-D-I hyphen C-A-R-E, and Medi-Cal, C-A-L? What's the difference? Sure. Uh, so at the national level, we have two programs. There's Medicare and Medicaid. In California, because we're cute and creative, we, we call Medicaid, we, we call it Medi-Cal. And so, what's the difference? So the two programs, Medicare is a program that everybody who gets Social Security qualifies for. If you get uh, disability income from Social Security, you can also get Medicare. It is not a needs-based program. In other words, you can have any amount of money in the bank. doesn't matter. You've paid into the system. You've earned it. You get the benefits. Medicare does not pay the ongoing cost of nursing home care although it can pay for the short term. Now, Medi-Cal, on the other hand, is a program that can pay the cost of nursing home care all or part, but you have to qualify. 
Now, that now, is now, a Medicare, program. Medicare is skilled nursing. Doctor, you're over 65. It's great health. And doctors, hospitals, chemotherapy, heart valve replacement, you, you know, surgery for cataracts. Medi-Cal is custodial care. You don't... You, you can't do the kind of things we all did today, you know, to get around our day, brushing your teeth, getting dressed, just taking care of yourself. You know, then you end up in a nursing home. Medi-Cal covers custodial care. Medicare doesn't. Right. So, so uh, the, the point of the question is it's just not a rare occurrence, unfortunately. Somebody's receiving government benefits and then one way or another, in this case by an inheritance, they have assets in excess of $2,000. And that means they lose eligibility. Now, what, what you're talking about, what this man should have done before he died, was Medi-Cal planning. Exactly. And, and Michael, explain what Medi-Cal planning is. Mark, we're going to answer your question, but we're going to take it. You can listen off the air, okay? Oh, you're, okay. You're doing great. Thank okay, you. thank you. Michael, explain Medi-Cal planning. Well, the, the basic principle is that the Medi-Cal rules are uh, very clear. And if you understand the law, which is a little bit complicated, if you understand the law, there are a multitude of planning opportunities so that in virtually every situation, assets can be protected and Medi-Cal eligibility can either be achieved or maintained. So like in this example, uh, there were two things that could have happened. No, point number one is he could have, the husband, this was a second marriage, he could have left assets in a special needs trust for his wife. Uh, there's a unique rule in that context. That is actually where you have to leave it in a will. We, we almost always do living trust for people, but if a, if a spouse is going to leave money to a special needs trust for another spouse, it actually has to be done through a will. It's a special federal legal requirement. So they could have done that, and then she would not have lost her eligibility for Medi-Cal at all. All the money could have been there for her. Medi-Cal goes on, no problem. The second option they had was once she inherited the money, she could have engaged in Medi-Cal planning. She could have taken steps to protect, you know, I don't care if it was 100000 or 500000 a house, it could have been protected. But, you know, the, time, the opportunity was apparently lost uh, before she passed. Well, well let, let's say, I, I, we had a case, for example, daughter comes in and the mother had just sold her home for $500,000 and then had a stroke and wound up in a nursing home. And they were paying close to $10,000 a month nursing home bills because the woman had converted a home, which is an exempt asset and doesn't count for Medi-Cal eligibility into cash, which is non-exempt. The woman in the bed next door, or, and by the way, there's no such thing as a Medi-Cal ward. There's no such thing as a Medi-Cal bed. I'm not talking welfare or food stamps. Everybody gets the same treatment. There's no differentiation between Medi-Cal and private pay patients at all. Illegal, and it doesn't go on. But the woman who had a home worth 500000 and no money in the bank, same bed, same treatment, was getting Medi-Cal and the government was paying. Explain how that works and how that's part of the planning you do. Well, you know, again, it, it just comes down to the question of planning. If you understand the rules, bottom line is you can protect. By As, as you pointed out, had she retained her home or residence, it's exempt. It doesn't count in determining eligibility for Medi-Cal. So had she simply kept the house as a house, she would have qualified for Medi-Cal immediately. But, but, but let's hasten to add that if upon the death of a Medi-Cal recipient, the state of California wants its money back. So if a person does own a residence, which doesn't interfere with eligibility for Medi-Cal, but upon their death, again, the state is going to assert a claim against their home if they still own it to get their money back. So when there is a, resi a, a residence, it's, it doesn't interfere with eligibility, but we have to take special steps to be sure that it's protected from that claim from the state of California upon her death. You got that? 
you have any Medi-Cal questions, the number to call is 866-536-1000. So let me give you a hypothetical, an example. Um, and frequently it's women who wind up in nursing homes because women take care of their husbands. The guy dies, then dies, and the woman's left alone, and, and sometimes there's no one left to take care of her. Um, woman has a home, a $200,000 IRA, and about $300,000 in the bank. You know, close to a million dollars in assets. Can they qualify for Medi-Cal? They have, that, that individual has the option of uh, taking planning steps that would allow her to qualify for Medi-Cal in uh, maybe one month or two. So to go through those assets... And, and repeat the assets again. That's yeah. astonishing. So there's a home, let's say it's worth 300000 500000 800000 doesn't matter. Again, a home it continues under California law to be exempt. It's invisible for purposes of establishing eligibility. There's a $200,000 IRA. As long as she is taking out the required minimum distributions, and she has to if she's over 70 and a half, if she's taking that money out, the money in the IRA also doesn't count. So most of the assets, the residents in the IRA, doesn't count for eligibility purposes. She's got $300,000 in cash. Uh, among the many opportunities for planning, one option is to make asset transfers, to make gifts. And if those are done under, under a, a carefully orchestrated plan to make sure it's in compliance with California law, that money could be shifted out of her estate to her kid or her kids, perhaps to dynasty trusts. Uh, and again, within one or two months, three at the most, the assets would be protected and she would qualify for Medicare. Now, most people think, oh, there's a three-month or a 30-month or a five-year look-back rule, and you can't give money away. Explain that, how you can do transfers and still qualify for Medi-Cal within a month. We do it all the time, and I know it can be done. Sure. So there is a, a so-called look-back period. Uh, in most states, when you apply for Medicaid, remember Medicaid is Medi-Cal, they'll ask if gifts were made in the prior five years. Now, in California, only in California, they ask about gifts made in the prior 30 months. So if, the, if there was a gift made in the prior 30 months, that does not necessarily mean that the person is not eligible. It just means that there's a gift that has to be analyzed. So let's say a year ago, somebody made a gift of uh, $25,000. Well, that $25,000 gift made her ineligible for Medi-Cal for three months, but the period of ineligibility started at, on the date of the gift. It's history. doesn't matter. So, yeah, there's a look-back period, but that doesn't mean... You can't get Medi-Cal at all. It just means you have to plan properly. Got that? Again, the seminars are coming up. Um, and, and amazing things can be done. if you have. And I know we're going through it very quickly. And the seminar will cover it's about two hours. Uh, and Michael will be there afterwards with other lawyers in his office to answer questions. Again, Wednesday, March 6th, 4 and 6 p.m. at the San Jose Doubletree. And Thursday, March 7th, in Palo Alto at the Crown Plaza Cabana, 4 and 6 p.m. The seminars are free. Just go to Gilfix, G-I-L-F-I-X, Gilfix.com to register. You can call 650-493-8070. Many of you have, I would have given you, if you would have come to see me in the year 2000, and you had about a million dollars, your husband and wife come, I would have given you, and every other lawyer would have probably given you an AB trust. Now that estate taxes are at $5 million, the AB Trust is going to be a real burden on the survivor. We're going to talk about that and how you even know if you have an AB Trust when we get back. Len Tillum, News Talk 910. Len Tillum, Michael Gilfix, News Talk 910. We've got a question that will feed exactly into the topic we're talking about. Hey, John in Sacramento, Len Tillum, News Talk 910. John, what's your question? Thank you for taking my call. Um, 
just so to give you a little bit of background, about 2007, I encouraged my parents to, you know, get on board and get a living trust and will done. They're, they're fairly young. My mom's 60, my dad's 63. Um, I, I have two siblings, a younger brother, very irresponsible, and I had an older sister um, that was just the opposite, very responsible. Um, she passed away two years ago. Uh, most recently, my um, dad uh, was diagnosed, and he's terminally, they, they say he has four to eight months, and um, I'm just concerned about them. Uh, and, and what I'm reading about the AB Trust, um, it just seems like it was a, it was a poor decision now. Especially no, no, it may not have been a poor decision. What's the size of their estate? You know what, um, your screener asked me that. I would say about $500,000 within IRA and, and real estate. People who did trusts with me in the 90s, and they had $500,000. I often gave them AB trust. So hold on a second. Michael, explain what an AB trust is, how it works, and why now, because they changed the estate tax law, if you have less than $5 million, it could be a real problem for the one who lives longer. So so the, the, the AB trust, it means, it's just AB because after the first death, the, the trust effectively divides into two sub-trusts. And the bottom line, the main reason that is done is to protect from estate tax exposure. Now, when we had estate tax protection levels at only 600,000 or 650,000, almost everybody needed the AB trust. Now, an individual can pass along over $5 million and there's no estate tax. So if if my wife and I have $6 million and I die first, guys die first, she doesn't want me to give my half, my $3 million to the daughters. Give it to her. She's the old lady. She may want it. But if I give her my $3 million, when she dies, she's got $6 million, there's going to be a 40% tax on anything over $5 million. Explain how the AB trust, you know, the wife, the survivor can have her cake and eat it too. Sure. So with the AB trust, basically uh, each spouse, you, we preserve for each spouse the right to, under current law, we preserve for each spouse the right to pass along up to $5 million. So that means over $10 million can be protected from an estate tax with this AB trust. But with a small estate like this, and this is maybe the most important point we can make right now. There's not a need for this division after the first death. The estate is too small. There's no way there's going to be any estate tax exposure. It's much easier for the survivor to have one trust. Everything is in one trust, one pot, no restrictions. And that person then has complete access to all of the money. When you have an AB trust and you've got a large estate, it's good to throw some money at lawyers and accountants. That's what rich people do. You'll save a fortune in estate tax. But if you don't need it, it, uh, the B trust requires its own federal tax ID number. There's a tax return. If you've got a lot of money, it makes sense. But if you don't need it, why have it? And why put these restrictions on the survivor? What can you, if someone has an AB trust, Michael, what, what do we do to, to solve that problem if they no longer need it? Well, 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 let's first say that there are still some circumstances when the AB trust might be a good idea aside from tax, but that's a minority of situations. So what can be done is anybody who has an AB trust, if they don't need it anymore, we do what is called an amendment and complete restatement of the trust. That means we keep the same name and date of the trust. So any assets titled in the trust, nothing has to be retitled, but we replace the contents of the trust from top to bottom. Basically, it's a new trust, a simpler trust, something that would work better for for countless individuals. So it's worth thinking about that. If you have a smaller estate, AB trust, you may want to simplify things and have the trust redone. Now, again, we've done this very quickly, and this will be covered at length at your seminar. It will indeed. Okay, Michael is doing seminars on all of these topics and more. Michael's seminars are fascinating. They go quickly. They're fun. 
about two hours this Wednesday, next week, in San Jose at the Doubletree, March 6th, 4 and 6 p.m., and Thursday, March 7th, 4 and 6 p.m. in Palo Alto. Just register. It's free. You'll be glad you went. You'll learn a lot. Gilfix, G-I-L-F-I-X, gilfix.com. Phone number 650-493-8070. Also, um, Michael, the best part, Michael will stay around after the seminar and answer all of your questions. Michael, thank you for joining us. Good a pleasure. Seminar. Thank it's you. good having you here.